absolutely brilliant to be here. Uh, I just want to say one thing first up. I need uh, so much grace. I met a hundred of you two years ago. You met one of me. My name is Simon, which is pretty simple to remember. I may have lost a lot of your names. So just tons of grace. Just walk to my wife, who's far more fun and nice than me anyway. Introduce yourself to her, and I can overhear and go, great, great. That's, that's their name. I forgot. I forgot. Uh, Kiri, um, uh, Dave was meant to throw me under the bus and say something like, well, if I didn't remember your name, it's because I didn't think you are important at all. But that is absolutely no truth whatsoever. Um, it's just you meet 100 people, and suddenly you're kind of like, oh, no, I've got to see them in two years again, and I'm not going to remember their names. But uh, that's, that's my least fear. My joy is to be with you guys again, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's great to be invited back. I always say it's easy to get invited the first time, but the second time, well, that's obviously you did something right, hopefully, the first time. But um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm here with my whole family this time, which means you get a far better me. Me on my own just doesn't feel complete anymore uh, since being married. So uh, I have my beautiful wife, Kiralee, and I have three children who you will meet on impact if you're there, and um, hopefully you'll enjoy them. Um, so it, as I said, it's a, it's a real honor to be here, and I'm going to get straight into things because I, I think I spent too much time earlier introducing myself and talking a lot of rubbish. Um, so I'm just going to get straight into things. Father, we just thank you so much that you are the King of Kings, that you're the gracious and wonderful uh, God of Jonah, that you, um, your love is just supreme, your, your mercy is uh, magnificent, and your grace is glorious, and um, it's extended to us, um, and we, we just we can't come to grips with that, I can't come to grips with that, and uh, Lord, I thank you that you've called us not just to kind of know you by name, not even to just kind of know you by a first introduction, but to know you with all of our lives and to come to discover that you are the, the joy, the peace, the, the, the sheer um, solace, the place of home for our souls. And as we look into that just this morning, I pray that you would just speak to us and minister to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, great. Well, hey, um, some of you just come through for your first time, so I hope this is a, a good deal for you and a good start to um, overflow uh, high school life and um, just pray that something I'll say will kind of live with you and last with you. But um, I wanted to just kind of talk about keeping it real. Whoa, keeping it real loud. Um, I just wanted to talk about keeping it real. And um, I want to start with a story kind of with regards to, I lead a church in the UK called X1. We named it X1 because we thought, well, that's a cool name. We are not cool ourselves. I am certainly no longer cool because of my age, uh, my growing girth. So... Um, I am no longer cool, so I'll just name my church a cool name, and hopefully that's why people will come. It hasn't convinced anyone yet, so it's still just me and my family. I'm kidding. Um, our church is growing, but the guy who leads the church with me, a guy called Andy, went to Turkey for his summer holiday. Who knows that there's a place called Turkey outside of the United States? Who knows that there is not one turkey alive in Turkey? That's a lie. Anyway, so we're talking about Turkey the place, not Turkey the animal. My, um, the the co-leader of my church did not visit a Turkey. He went to the place called Turkey. Now what's amazing in Turkey, and here's a new word for you, is there is a preponderance. Can everyone say preponderance? Without spitting at your friend. Preponderance. My wife actually says I spit all the time when I preach. Don't sit in the front row. There's just tons and tons of fake goods. Basically in Turkey... You almost don't have the real goods because there are just so many fake goods. There are no genuine articles. Everything is a fake. 
fake Hollister, fake Abercrombie, fake Nike, fake Adidas or Adidas, as my wife would want me to say, or Adidas if you're from Zimbabwe. Um, one of those three is right. Anyway, probably yours because it was invented here. So Adidas, everything's just fake. So it's almost like there is no market, there is no kind of life, there is nothing for the genuine article because there is just such a preponderance, lots and lots of fake stuff. And actually, growing up in Zimbabwe, there was a kind of a similar sort of scenario in the fact that in Zimbabwe, you just couldn't buy for love nor money a new thing. You, you, you just couldn't buy all these kind of brilliant, fantastic consumer goods. There were no Nikes. Literally, in my whole town, you kind of, you just sort of couldn't get them. So when a guy at school had these on, you knew two things. One, he was really cool and could probably pick up all the chicks just because he wore Nikes because no one else had them. And two, he's gone to South Africa to buy them. And so what happened is there'd be all these marketplaces in my home, uh, hometown where they would sell Nikes and Adidas and Gucci bags. You, you know where I'm going with this? There was, there was tons of things that kind of looked like, although there was such kind of dodgy, dodgy is a, bad way, is a way of saying bad, such dodgy stitching work. So as soon as you bought your shoes, if you walked home with them, the sole would fall off, but they were Nikes or Nikes. But... So I'm growing up in a town where there's just no genuine articles. There's only the fake stuff. There's only the things trying to be like the real deal. And I want to just kind of preach from a, a passage of Scripture, um, which is Mark 8, verses 34 through 38, and kind of drive something home to you that I hope would last with you and uh, say something to you about keeping it real. My charge to you, my request my proposition, my strong urge to you today is that you would learn and you would be those who keep it, real, keep it real when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ. So the scripture is going to come up behind me. I'm going to read from um, verse 31 right through to verse 38 of Mark chapter 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You know you're in trouble when your youth pastor says, Yo, get behind me, Satan. You've really done something wrong. Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, This is fundamental for the whole understanding of discipleship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For who would ever save, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is an inexplicably profound passage when it comes to understanding discipleship. In fact, it's foundational for understanding what it is to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, to be the real thing. Not to be a fake good, but to be the genuine article. This, this passage is foundational. It is so much depth in it that I have absolutely no time whatsoever to unpack its depth, its breadth, and what it has to say to us. 
But what I will do, connecting to it and trying to understand things and relating to my earlier story about Turkey and growing up in Zimbabwe, is that in my 20-year journey, I was born again on June the 20th, 1993, so it's almost 20 years most longer than all of you have been alive except the leaders in this room and probably older than some of the leaders. I've been a Christian 20 years. I came to faith on the side of a large kind of granite outcrop very similar to the place we went to yesterday. A bunch of us were jumping off cliffs um, uh, at the lake up the road. And um, I came to see the glory and the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ. I came to see his power and grace and love for me as a sinner that I could come to know him and put my faith in him and be saved and become a follower of Jesus. And I've been doing that for 20 years And what I've come to understand in those 20 years is that you kind of encounter two types of Christians or or, or churchgoers. There really are two types of Christians. There has appeared to me, at least to me, like clothing brands like Gucci, like Nike, like Adidas, that there are people that wear the name Christian that do the stuff, that even, they even look designed the same way. You can see, unless you really look deep and see there's a difference in stitching and actually the name is a little bit different, you, you actually see that they look almost exactly the same thing. But they're not the genuine article. I found in my 20-year journey that you find those that look exactly like it, they would be all over the marketplaces of Turkey, but they're not the real thing. They, they, there's something missing. There's something vacant. There's something different about them. It's kind of like saying... In, in current culture, I, I, I'm, I'm a Liverpool football club fan, so I can wear a Steven Gerrard um, jersey. But I can tell you this right now, I am not Steven Gerrard. The song sung about Steven Gerrard is Steven Gerrard, Gerrard, he can pass for 40 yards because he can kick a ball the whole length of a football pitch and probably get it to land on a dime. He is one of the most excellent midfielders in the whole world. But I can wear all his kits. I can wear everything Liverpool. I can kind of buy his um, Nike Predators. I can buy his socks. I can buy everything. I can have the name on the back. Or I can get all the Miami Heat kits and look like LeBron James. I can kind of get a really big tan, maybe even paint myself black, try and get nine-inch heels so I look the same sort of height, try and learn how to put a basketball between my legs because I don't even know that because I'm from Zimbabwe. And I can try and do it. Or or I can get a a Tony Romo shirt. I wouldn't do that because that would be a joke. I'd get an odd... Or I can get an RG3. I can get, I can get kitted out. I can even get the padding. And I can look like, I can smell like maybe. I can wear the same deodorant. I can wear the same underwear as RG3. But I am not RG3. I am not Steven Gerrard. I guarantee you with all my heart, I am not LeBron James. I can wear all the stuff. I can look the article. But I am a fake good. There is a LeBron James. There is a RG3. There is an or A, Stephen Gerrard. I am not any of those three, but I can, and you probably do, wear all the stuff. And what I've come to find out in my life is that there's those who, who kind of wear the goods, who wear the names, who look like it, but they're not the genuine article. And then there are those who I have found that I must call disciples of Jesus. I find, and I've encountered, Dave is one of those men in my life, a man who is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the real thing. He isn't just wearing the clothing. He isn't just trying to be something he's not. And the wonder of this passage we're at today is on an exegetical level. Exegetical means as we try and look at Scripture and understand and discern the truth of what a passage is saying to us today. On an exegetical level, 
This is the centerpiece. This is the fulcrum. This is the hinge of the whole book of Mark. You see, Mark is one of four Gospels. You've got four different men trying to write with different camera angles about the life of Jesus Christ. You've got John, who's writing much later than the other authors, about the philosophical glory and the central truth of Jesus as the Word of God. You've got Mark trying to make something clear. You've got Matthew trying to make something clear. You've got... um, Luke, as a doctor, trying to make the facts clear that this is Jesus, the Son of God. He who is the Word of God has become flesh. He who has lived eternally with the Father has now become like man and has come and lived the perfect life, died a death for our sins and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death and is now living eternally at the Father's right hand, has sent His Spirit to us as His believers to follow Him and live like Him. Each of these Gospels is trying to do that. The book of Mark has a particular emphasis. He wants to say to you what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And right in the center of the whole book of Mark is this passage. This is the fulcrum. This is the centerpiece. This is the hinge. If you want to know Mark, if you wanted to get a text message summary of what Mark is, it's right here. Right here is the centerpiece of the book of Mark. This is what Mark wants us to know about discipleship. This is what God wants us to know about discipleship. And it highlights so many things. It highlights, firstly, to me, one thing. It highlights the crisis of contemporary Christianity. It highlights what I think is the number one issue facing the church, facing you as young Christians, facing me as an older Christian today. And it's here in verse 33. Uh, If you want to go back one slide. Jesus has just asked the disciples, who am I? And can I promise every one of you in your life journey, there will come a time when Jesus will ask you, No matter how cool you think you are, no matter how ugly you think you are, no matter how useless you think you are, how glorious you think you are, Jesus is going to ask you, who do you think I am? I'm not asking you what your mom and dad think I am. I'm not asking you what Dave Tate or Tim Cartwright or Gary up in the main service. I'm not asking you what they think I am. I'm asking you, who do you think I am? And Jesus has just done that with his disciples in the verses before this. And the disciples are like, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're just a great prophet. Some say you're just a good man. And, he, and, and then Peter goes, you're the Christ. You are who you say you are. You are God made flesh. You are the, the savior for the sins of the world. You are Emmanuel, God with us. He has this revelation. And in your lifetime, you must have a revelation of who Jesus is. Don't live on what you've heard. Live on coming to see who he is. Peter has this, but Peter also has an understanding of what the Christ would be like. Peter thinks that Jesus is going to come and just beat up the Romans and set free the Israelites and rule and reign and use his powers. We won't even have to touch people. He'll just be able to destroy them. He'll take out the Justice League, take out Superman, Spider-Man, all of the above because he's just so gloriously powerful as the Messiah who's come to save the world. But that's not the Jesus that Jesus wants himself to be understood to be. And so suddenly... Peter's Peter's had this revelation in the earlier verses of who who Jesus is, and he's thinking, well, Jesus is now going to go, right, this is the plan, guys. This is how we're going to crush the Romans. You're going to take the right side. We're going to flank him on the left. Then I'm just going to stand in the middle, and like Moses, I'm just going to drop a staff, and the whole of Rome is just going to boom. And then I'm going to stand and say, yo, check me out. I'm JC. And everyone's going to go, oh, he's the king. So Peter's like, huddle. I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die at the hands of my enemies. I'm going to be crushed for the sins of mankind. And Peter's like, (laughs) yo, JC, that's not the plan I have for you. 
And so he says, he starts rebuking Jesus. Can I just say, in your lifetime, you can maybe have a bit of a moan. I don't even know if you use the word moan. Moan at Jesus, but don't rebuke him. He rebukes Jesus. He's like, man, that's a terrible plan. Let's do the plan. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. And the crisis of contemporary Christianity, Christianity of our time, is that we don't have our mind on the things of God. We have our mind on the things of man. We think that our lifestyle, we think that the significance of things, we think that the things we should have and own, the people we should be, the circles we should sort of run in, the way we should be seen by our peers is what is the truth and the center of life. And Jesus is saying, no, there's an absolutely different truth. You have your mind set on the things of man. And our Christianity has even been sort of shaped and changed by it. The really cool church leader is the church leader of thousands. Dave is a loser. He's only got 150 people in his youth group. There's a church in Philadelphia that's got 4 million. That's a real church leader. Or you hear it in your own faith. Well, I don't really understand the Bible. I'm still learning. Well, then you can't really love Jesus. Or you're thinking, well, I'm not really cool. I'm not hip. I'm not with it. Well, then you can't be a great Christian. That's what it kind of comes into the life of the church. And we think that Christianity is being successful. We think it should be pain-free. We think it should be exciting and fun and delightful and just without any issues. But then Jesus says, that's, that's just not the way it is. That's a Christianity that's defined by an understanding defined by the world. On many occasions, the lifestyle the significance of possessions, how important they are in the estimation of advertising that just comes upon our lives and the demand of the world is the polar opposite of what those things mean to God. You will live your life, young people, and I just, I'm doing studies on this, I'm doing a master's paper on exactly this, barraged by commercial media that you only have meaning or identity if you own a certain set of things. And more importantly, you can own the next set of things once those, ne- those things go out of date in three months' time. You'll be told that your, your possessions, your worth is defined by what you own, what you wear, and who you know. And the, 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 the discipleship journey that Jesus is highlighting is, no, it's, it's not about that whatsoever. You're defined by whether you've come to see who am I, and you live the life that I ask you to live. Do you know, the world's idea of who God is and what it is to really know and have understanding is so absolutely perverse and wrong that in Romans chapter one, when Paul the apostle who came to faith by seeing the glory of Jesus Christ is writing to a church he's not yet visited in Rome, he writes in Romans chapter one, verse 23, this is how dumb worldly knowledge is. Now I'm not saying don't know lots of things. I'm just saying when it comes to the core thing, the real thing, the main thing, what it is to live for and have your soul and live and have eternal life. The world has no clue. It says this in Romans 1, 21 through 23. They, the mindset of the world, has exchanged the glory of the immortal God. There is a God in heaven who rules the heavens, who has a love for mankind so great, so marvelous. He created everything we see, everything we'll never see in our lifetime. He wants personal relationship with you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to enable that to happen through his perfect life, his death and resurrection to glory and and. And the world is saying, no, no, we're going to exchange that for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What Paul is trying to say is that the opportunity to know and love and be loved by God is there, but the world is saying, no, actually, let's, let's make images and idols out of, out of um, pieces of wood. I come from a country where people will fashion a piece of wood and say, this is God. 
I now live in a country where they will see a woman dancing on a screen called Rihanna. And they will fashion and idol. They want to live their life like her. They want to be like her. I, I live in a country, and I've, I'm visiting a country right now where, where young men will see men on a screen throw a ball 80 yards and go, that is my God. I want to be like him. He is glorious. And the opportunity to know God, to love Jesus, to be loved by Jesus is here. But then there's this, this, this whole barrage of, no, you want to be like them. You want to swap that knowledge for the knowledge of what it is. To own the whole world, Jesus says. Jesus continues in this vein by saying, there's a mindset in the things of God, but let me tell you, a mindset in the things of man, but let me tell you about a mindset on the things of God. And he continues to say, and he continues to define what is discipleship. And he says this, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's, will save it. One way of seeing this passage is that to understand discipleship, you've got to understand that it means losing your life to Jesus Christ. Handing over possession of it, handing over ownership of it, handing over how you think it should be lived out to the Lord Jesus and saying, you're in charge. To say otherwise is satanic. That, that's what's happening here. Peter's saying, no, no, there, there's a type of Christianity that is supposed to be raw and aggressive and own the world and possess everything and be strong and pain-free and be the most one. And Jesus is saying, no, there, there's another way where you will journey with me, you give your life up for me, and I'll show you what that life is like. You see, Jesus is saying here that someone can possess the whole world and yet lose their soul. And I want to say to you the number one problem, if you were at Impact Camp, and there's no way you would remember because I've almost forgotten, but two years ago, the whole idea was the fact that unless Jesus becomes your primary treasure, you haven't yet entered the kingdom of God. And we live in a culture, we live in a space where unlike Zimbabwe, where there just isn't the barrage of what you can have and own, there isn't this multitude of treasures you can possess that can mislead you from following Jesus here in the West, in the US or the UK, you guys are just barraged with treasures. Have this, own this, be like that. Be known in this way. And it can help you, or it can, I mean, what it can do is it can push Jesus to the side. And you and I know people that seem to possess the whole world and yet don't have a soul. There's an emptiness and a brokenness to them. I grew up, my favorite band in the 90s was, um, uh, was uh, obviously... Uh, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. You look at a guy and you think he must have everything. He must own everything. And yet he tosses his life aside committing suicide. There was another band in a similar sort of time, an Australian band with a lead singer as well. Quite a, quite a cool band. Again, this, this man takes his And you're thinking, but you have the whole world. And I think some of you probably know friends and relatives who seem to have the whole world. And yet there's an emptiness and a brokenness to them. And Jesus is saying that is possible. You can have so many things. You can possess the whole world. You can have a name in the eyes of the world. You can have an identity in the eyes of the world. But you can have no soul. You can be empty. You can have no future eternal life with God. And so Jesus just kind of says, well, if you want to see how to change that, if you want to have your soul, if you want to own what's most important, if you want to live a life that uh, receives the, the reward and the, the pleasures and the presence and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and all that offers, well then you need to do these things. You, you need to deny yourself. 
and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is more wonderfully pictured in these two chapters. You have the Jesus Christ who is fully man and is going to die at the hands of um, his enemies. And then you have the Jesus Christ who reveals himself in Mark chapter 9 as the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the glorious one who reveals his glory. And Peter and John are struck by the amazement that this is Christ the Lord. This is the King of kings. This is the, the God the Son. And Jesus is saying, unless you put your faith in me, unless you follow me, unless you give your life to me, you can have all the things of the world. You can even actually wear the fake goods and look like a Christian, bear the name, but not actually have what counts. He says, don't hold on to this life so hard. He's saying, deny yourself, give up some things, live for, live for life. And you can see that this for the rich young ruler was this clash moment. Jesus encounters a rich young ruler later on in the book of Mark. And he says to him, have you obeyed all the commandments? He says, yes, I've obeyed all the commandments. And here, we, you can probably feel the same way. Simon, I've been a good guy. I've obeyed all the commandments. I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. Jesus is saying, that's not enough. That's not what counts. Will you sell everything you have and follow me? Jesus is asking you the same question this morning. Will you follow me? Will you give up what it is to be defined by the world and the ideas of the world and live and follow me? And my promise to you is that you will not just have the whole world. You will have your soul. You'll have eternal life. You'll have glory in heaven. You'll have the rewards of what it is to follow Jesus. He finally says, he says in verse 38, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, I will be ashamed of him. Stop being ashamed of Jesus. Be so full of the fact that you know him and are loved by him. Talk about him. Speak about him. Let people know about him. Let people see what he is in your life, on your Facebook posts, on your tweets, or wherever it is, but somewhere in your life, everywhere in your life, whether it be in your school place, not just here on Sunday mornings, because that is definitely not the only place, but everywhere in your life, your parents should be seeing and should be confronted with the fact that Jesus is central in your life. Because you've, you've said no to this, and I'm, I'm living for this. Living for the rewards of what it is to know Jesus. And my challenge to you this morning, and my, my, my kind of strong encouragement, because perhaps here in, 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 in the sort of Bible Belt of Texas, it's one of the hardest places to know, am I just wearing the goods, or am I the real thing? My challenge to you this morning is, is to seek the Lord Jesus, to listen to what he says to seek the scriptures, to hear the truth of what Jesus is saying to you so that you would live as the real thing and be a world changer. Be someone who sold out for Jesus and lives for Jesus because that's what Christ is asking you to do is to, to keep it real and be the genuine article. I'm gonna pray for all of us. I just wanna uh, pray briefly that um, it's really not my words that are gonna make a difference in people's lives. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who's gonna speak to you and say to you, hey, this is perhaps what you need to receive from Simon's message there may be some of you this morning who have really not had that opportunity to say, I'm, I'm all yours, Jesus. I'm, I'm living for you. I'm, 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 I'm giving it up to live for you. I, I, want, I want the rewards of knowing you. Uh, and there may be some of you who just need to say, hey, I, I need to, to get back to living more like the real thing. And uh, that's maybe what you want to do while I pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this time together. I thank you for the joy of being with young people who are, are um, seeking you, longing to be like you. Uh, perhaps not even knowing you, but have been uh, in a place where they're hearing your truth. And I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just speak to them about being the real thing, the genuine article, about living truly for you, being sold out for you, taking up your cross, following you, being covered in your dust as you walk before them as their leader and as their king and as their, their friend and their savior, Lord, that they would follow you and give themselves over to you, Lord. 
Just help them to do that. Help them to respond. Help them to rise above the challenges that are uh, just brought by life to, to live a different way. Lord, would their mind be set on the things of God and not on the things of man, even when that is so unbelievably difficult? Would you help them do that, I pray? And bless them and strengthen them and guide them as they journey uh, to be more and more like you day by day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is David? Oh, there he is. Let's thank Simon for coming to us today. And I want to encourage any of you, if, if you feel like some things that he's saying are resonating with you and you feel like, yeah, I've been a part of the church. I'm, never, I'm not really sure if I've ever decided to follow and surrender my life to Christ. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you um, at some point in the coming days or weeks that you would pull aside maybe a leader from Overflow or even your own parents and say, I'm not sure if I even know Christ in the way that Simon's talking about. And I want to make a decision to follow him. I think one of the issues that we have at TBC sometimes, we don't do the we don't traditionally do the, the altar call, come down front, pray this prayer, because we want to make sure you know that salvation's not wrapped up in a magical little prayer. It's about following Jesus. But there does need to be a time in your life where you say, you know what, I want to decide to follow him. And I might express that through prayer. So that's important. And I think that is a, a huge part of what it means to um, come to the understanding of what it means to surrender to Jesus. So if that's you at some point, I'm going to ask you, just on your own time to be thinking that way this week at Impact Camp, those that are going to Impact Camp with us, those that are not, be thinking about that, um, maybe discuss that with a leader here at Overflow or your parents possibly, but there does need to be a time in your life where you decide, you know what, I've been living a life of unbelief, and I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work for me on the cross. And you'll be hearing more and more about that um, as we go through uh, Impact Camp. So thank you, Simon, for sharing your gifts with us, bro. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to dismiss now because I know we need to get ready to go to camp here. So um, let's go ahead and be back here at 2.30, and we'll see you guys in just a little bit. Have an awesome afternoon.